Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the It is wonderful to be here with you this morning, and thank you for partnering with us. You know, as missionaries, we're very aware of the fact that without the local church's prayer and monthly support, there is no way that we would have the opportunity to go and do what we're doing. And you know, as, as the local church partners with us, and the missionary goes, and the missionary begins to preach and teach and love people, the Holy Spirit comes down and anoints what's going on, and he's the one that's doing the work. So thank you for partnering with us, and for partnering with what God is doing across the world and in Ivory Coast. We have prayer cards out front. We'd love for you to take one and remember us in prayer. Your prayers are coveted. We truly do need your prayers. Also, if there's anyone that's interested in coming and working with us or anywhere in Africa, whether it be for a week or a year or two years, we encourage you to pick up this card. It says, Start Your Journey to Africa. You can fill that out. And uh, just uh, on your phone, you can send it to the site, and there will be someone that will contact you and And start talking with you and and, uh, start a conversation about how you can get to Africa. Um, As you saw in the video, we're working with a church that's vibrant. They have a vision to plant 5,000 new churches in the next 10 years. It's encouraging for us to be working with a church like this. For the past six years, we've been working with them. We were 15 years before in the country of Niger. And now we're in Cote d'Ivoire. And you know, the thing is, they have a vibrant church in the southern part of the country. But the reality is, as you leave the southern part of the country, you go east-west, and especially on up into the northern part of the country, things begin to change. Our churches are small and very spread out. And in fact, about almost 50% of the population are Muslim people. 25% are still steeped in witchcraft, making sacrifices, trying to appease demons in order to live. And so it's a country where people desperately need to hear the gospel message. It's estimated in reality only about 7% of the people are evangelical believers. And so we want to partner with the national church and go into these areas where there's not no church, where there's no Christian witness. And this is the type of things that they're wanting to do. Build 5,000 churches in areas that need a church. Go into these areas that are steeped in Islam, steeped in witchcraft, and plant a evangelical church, a spirit-filled church that will preach the gospel. And so we want to join hands with our national brothers and sisters and go with them into these places where Satan has controlled for centuries. Because we know that Jesus came and he died for everyone in Ivory Coast. There are people that have come from all over West Africa that are living in Ivory Coast, some of them from countries where we cannot preach the gospel message. But they're living in a country where we have freedom to preach. So we want to go there and tell them that Jesus loves them. My husband's also asked me just to share a short testimony of something I've been involved in. For the past 23 years as I've worked in in Africa, West Africa, I have been heavily involved in children's ministries. It's a burden that the Lord has placed on my heart. And everywhere I go, I've, I've preached and teached children. But the Lord, about three years ago, began to deal with my heart about a group of children that I wasn't reaching out to. And it's the street children. In the city we've lived in for the past six years, There are estimated to be 10,000 children that are living on the streets. Poverty, abuse, being orphaned because of the war or because of disease. Different different things have driven these kids to live on the streets. And nightly, they talk about them in the news. It's in all the the newspapers. And I'm constantly even seeing it on Facebook with posts I get from Ivory Coast about 
these kids and their gang activities, their criminal activities, how they're the problem of the society, and what are we going to do about these, these urchins that live on the street that have no value? But you know, when Jesus looks at those children, he doesn't just see the raggedy clothes. He doesn't just see the sores on their body. He sees a soul he gave his life for. And he was, as I began to pray and the Lord began to deal with my heart, you're not reaching out to these kids. I was like, what can I do? There's so many of them. Their situation is so desperate. I don't know how to help them. And the Lord just led me to start praying. And I started praying that God would raise an awareness. I started talking to people about it. And the Lord over the past three years has raised up several churches where he has gotten a hold of the hearts of the pastor's wives, of young people and ladies in the church that have committed themselves to go out and reach out to these kids on the streets. They're bringing them into their churches. Once or twice a week, they, they feed them. They share the word of God with them. They're counseling them. They are treating their, their the sores and their diseases. They're giving them a place where they can bathe, where they can wash their clothes. And little by little, their lives are changing. I mean, it says, a few of them have actually be, been reunited with their parents or with extended family members, but there's many others that they're not wanted. I, I have a hard time understanding a 10-year-old boy, what could he have done that his own parents say he cannot come home? I don't understand it. But I know these kids are in extreme danger. There's all types of things out there, dangers to be exploited through drugs, through great gang activity, through, through sex trafficking, and it's a reality for these kids. But Jesus wants to change their lives. And little by little, the kids' hearts are changing. They're listening. They're coming to church, and they're changing their attitudes. They're changing their actions, and they're giving their hearts to Jesus. One of the churches has just recently been looking at a piece of property they're wanting to buy so we can set up a center for those kids that truly want to make a difference, those kids that want to get off the streets where we can bring them into the center, we can disciple them, we can teach them, we can get them either back into school or we can get them into a, a, some type of an apprenticeship where they can learn a trade, try to get them back into a family, one of their own family members or a foster care family, or provide a way for them to live and support themselves. We're believing God is going to make this happen. So we ask that you just be in prayer for us, that God would provide everything, the land, all the things that are going to be needed, the finances to do this. We've committed to help with the buildings that they're going to be setting up. And we're believing that one by one the lives of these street children are going to be changed. God loves all of us, just as we heard this morning. There's not one of us that is too far gone in our sin that God does not want to save us. And God has a plan. He created us with a purpose. He created us with a plan in his kingdom, a place that we're supposed to fulfill in his kingdom. And these street kids, I believe that if they give their hearts to Jesus, he's going to transform them, he's going to change them, and they can fulfill that role that God has for them, and they can become a child of the king, and their lives will be changed forever. Praise the Lord. It's really hard to follow, Shelley. <laughs> we both went out to Africa as, uh, out of college uh, in missions, and we met out there. So I, I married a missionary. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, Shelley was sharing, uh, uh, we are wanting to help with the Center for the Street Kids in Abidjan. And uh, so uh, we're wanting to partner with the local churches there. And so uh, we, you saw the tabernacle kits that were going up that on the time-lapse on the video, uh, but we actually have a factory we've set up. We're building those kits in-country, so it cost us uh, $6,000 to build a church, but we also can use the same kits for uh, building a center or other things, so uh, we've committed to help with two kits. I've already raised one, so we'll pray with us that the Lord will provide the other 6000 
for the second kit so that we can provide the center for three kids. Amen. And uh, pray with us also for National Church wants to start 5,000 new churches. You cannot graduate from Bible school now in Ivory Coast. We have 400 students in training. We have others on a waiting list. But you cannot graduate from Bible school if you don't plan a church. So there's a gap after their junior year, between their junior and senior year, there's a two-year gap where every student goes out and plants a church. And so we're wanting to partner with 300 of these church plants to provide a building, but also do a crusade and help launch these uh, new churches as part of the 5,000 church initiative. So be in prayer for us. Uh, it's a big task. If you do the math, 300 times 6,000 is a lot of money over the next 10 years. But I believe God can provide because since we set up the Tabernacle Factory uh, three years ago, we have built 100 churches. So uh, I believe that God's going to provide and it's going to happen. Amen. You know, as my wife was sharing this morning about the street kids, um, one of the things that touches me is that, you know, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, there's what we see. And then sometimes if you're ever evaluated by your peers, you're surprised that people around you see things differently about you than you see for yourself. Sometimes things that you think are strength, they don't see as a strength. Or things that you see as a weakness, they see as a strength. But often we're surprised uh, if we actually get an honest opinion from those around us as to what they see. But I'm going to tell you this morning what matters the most is what God sees when he looks at us. And you see, for someone like Jeremiah that God called to be a prophet, Jeremiah had doubts. When he looked in the mirror, he didn't see a prophet especially someone who was going to preach to a country in the worst, most corrupt time in its history, a very unpopular message, a very politically incorrect message. And yet God said to Jeremiah, I've chosen you. When I look at you, I see a prophet to the nations. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's a powerful verse. Before he was ever formed in the womb, God knew him. Before he ever even knew life, God knew him and had a plan for his life. And I believe that to be true for every one of us. That's why it's so important for each of us to find Christ, to surrender ourselves to him, not only as a savior, but also to seek His will as our Lord. Because unless we're seeking His will, and unless we're desiring to follow after Him, we won't discover what we were actually made to be. You know, Gideon was hiding out in a wine press. He wasn't in there pressing grapes. He was hiding out so the enemy wouldn't see him. Threshing grain, trying to get some food for his family for the week. Because the enemy marauders were stealing all of the food. People were starving to death. And really Gideon's focus was living another day. He, it wasn't, a, it's not a success story. <laughs> not, he just literally was looking to survive with his family another day. Under enemy occupation. And yet when the angel of the Lord comes to him, he is addressed as a mighty warrior of God. Gideon's shocked. <laughs> Who are you talking to? But you see, when God saw Gideon, he didn't see a coward. He didn't see someone cowering in a wine press. He didn't see someone that had 
no goals and really didn't feel like he had any future, he saw someone that he created to deliver the nation, to be a mighty warrior for him. The Apostle Paul, if he were alive today, we wouldn't like him. No, seriously. If Paul were alive today, he would be an ISIS commander. Because in his time, Paul was willing to do anything, kill, steal, destroy, maim, to create a Jewish state that would rule over the whole world. That's the same objective that the Islamic State has today. If Paul lived today, he would be known by us. He'd be on the newscast and people would be talking about this terrible guy, Saul of Tarsus, who's a terrorist, who's trying to destroy us and had destroyed many. And they talk about how many churches he burned, how many people he killed, and all of this stuff. And yet when God saw Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus, he knew he created him to be an apostle to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm telling you, friends, that today we need to see things through the eyes of the Spirit. There are people that we see today as our enemies or that we see today as enemies of our country, but God did not create them to be that. And if they can find Jesus Christ, and if their hearts can be transformed, there's no telling what God can do with the people around us today. The people that we don't even like. The people that, in our hearts, we may even have a problem because we despise them. And yet, every person on this planet was created by God. And when they find Jesus Christ, they find their true meaning. How does God see us? How does God see others? You see, no one, and I'm telling you, no one can find their true purpose and the reason they were born on this earth. It's not by accident we're alive in 2016. Every one of us is here to accomplish a mission. About 12 years ago, I was ambushed by Al-Qaeda on my way to preach in a village. I took two AK-47 bullets through my left leg one through the knee and one through the bottom of the leg. Fractured the femur vertically. They stole everything I had, stole my vehicle, left me with a broken leg in the desert to die. I had no hope. And you know, I was laying there, and when you're at death's door, you start reevaluating some things. (laughs) And you see, when you're at death's door, And I honestly believed I had maybe between 30 minutes and an hour left to live. I tried to tie a tourniquet on my leg, but I was still bleeding. And uh, I I, I was watching my life slip away. I'm 90 kilometers from the nearest hospital. I, I have no options. There is no hope for me. And at that moment, the kind of house I lived in, the model car I drove, the brand of clothing I wore, the type of job, I mean, the things that we'll fight each other over, the things that seem so important now, at that moment you realize, I came into this world with nothing, I'm going to go out of this world with nothing. And you see, the only thing that's really eternal, the only thing that really matters is how I served Him while I was on this earth. And as I lay there thinking it's all over, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the best attitude. I'd like to tell you today that it was just a glorious moment. But the first thing I started doing was questioning God. Lord, you could have caused my car to break down and I wouldn't have been here. You could have spoken to me this morning when I was having my devotional and said to me, 
is put a check in my spirit about this trip today. There's so many ways that you could have kept me. The truth of the matter is when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at how many times every single day God protected us and we didn't even know it. But you see, so often we focus on those negative circumstances that we see now that God has allowed in our lives for a purpose, for a reason, but we're focused on it in the wrong way. We don't even learn the lesson. Or we miss the opportunity that's in that trial to serve Him. And I began to question God, and then I realized, Brent, in about 40 minutes, you're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. And I just said, I am not going into heaven griping and complaining. I started praying. I had this peace that came over me. You know how it is when you're in the trial, when you start worshiping Jesus, and you start thinking about all that He's done for you in the past, things change. What seems so impossible compared to the God we serve is no longer the huge mountain it seemed to be. And as I began to think about Him, and as I began to worship Him, and thank Him that I'm not laying here dying lost, but I'm a child of the King. I'm not laying here without hope, but I have eternity before me. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. I have a great future because I chose Christ and I began to worship Him and thank Him for everything He's done in my life. And then I had this overwhelming feeling of the privilege that I have had to serve Him. You see, when you get to the end, all that will matter is your relationship with Jesus and your family. And I prayed and I asked God, I said, Lord, I'm ready to come home. Would would you take care of my wife and my nine-year-old and my seven-year-old daughter? That's when I heard an audible voice, an audible voice in the desert, and God asked me this question. He said, Brent, who told you that your mission on earth is over? I'm telling you, friends, If you're alive and you're breathing in 2016, your mission's not over. There's still things that God's wanting to do through you. There's things that God's, people God's wanting to touch. There's things that God wants you to invest in for Him. Your life, it's not over. Because when our mission ends, it's when we go home. And I said to the Lord, I said, I'm willing, but you're going to have to do a miracle. He'd already done the miracle. I found out later, because 15 minutes after I was shot, federal troopers showed up to rescue me. Couldn't figure out how they got there. Later on in the hospital, that the commander came to me and explained to me that 30 minutes before I was ever attacked, before a bullet was fired, they received an anonymous phone call informing them that I'd been attacked, was critically wounded, and giving them my precise location in the desert where I'd been dumped. 30 minutes before the attack ever took place. Otherwise, they would have been late. But you see, God's never late. They transferred me to the village clinic that doesn't even have a doctor. I get there and there's a doctor. Not just a doctor. One of only two gunshot trauma surgeon specialists in the country. A military officer who by a typographical error got sent to that village instead of 2,000 kilometers where we're supposed to be by typo. And he told me, I'm here for this week only. We're getting everything cleared out. He says, you're lucky you got shot this week. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been here to save your life. a good week to be shot. But you see, 
We don't always know why we go through things. But as a result of recovering from that, villages that I had not been permitted to preach in, the chiefs, Muslim chiefs says, come preach here because God is with you. You shouldn't be alive. When I was in rehab for nine months, I witnessed to so many people because when they would come in and they would see my leg and all the scars and everything, they would say, what happened to you? And I could share with them the God we serve. You see, I firmly believe that if Jesus is the center of our life, He's going to lead us and guide us into the purpose that God created us for. Man, by nature, is egocentric. I like using that word because, you know, it sounds better. If I told you, by nature, you, by nature, you are selfish and self-centered, you get mad at me. But if I say, you know, you're a little egocentric, like, oh yeah, probably. But you know what? As a believer, the Holy Spirit wants every one of us to be Christocentric. He wants Jesus to be the center of our life. He wants His will to be the center of our life. He wants His mission to be the center of our life. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, that my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Jesus never sought His own interest. Jesus sought to accomplish the will of God who sent Him to this earth. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Whatever sacrifice that meant, even His own life on the cross, He was willing to make. He was willing to invest His life his resources, anything that the Holy Spirit led him to invest so that you and I might be saved today. And then Christ passed on the same mission to us to evangelize this world, to go out and to seek and to save the lost and to make disciples. And you see, when we get to heaven one day and we stand before Him, the only question that's going to matter is if you're before Him, you made it. We've, You know, we... I believe in grace, and I believe in forgiveness, and I believe in the love of God, and we all are saved by grace. But once we're saved and we make it to heaven, the Bible tells us that we will stand before our Master because, believe it or not, you're not the Master of your life. We will stand before our Master, and it's better to know this now than to wait to the last day. Your talents, your giftings, your intelligence, your resources, your money, your abilities, they don't belong to you. They belong to Jesus. Once you accept Jesus and you say, I give my life to you, then all that you are and all that you have belongs to Him. And at that moment, you become a steward of Jesus' resources that He's entrusted to you. It's a very important principle, friends. Because when we, if we don't understand this, one day when we get to heaven and we're asked the question, how did your life, talents, abilities, gifts, and resources that I gave to you from this time period to this time period, how did that contribute to people getting to heaven? That's, that's the bottom line, friends. When it's all said and done, how did your life and how did my life contribute to people getting saved and getting to heaven? It's important what we do. It's important saying yes to the Holy Spirit. It's important when the Holy Spirit prompts us to pray for somebody that we pray for them. Or the Holy Spirit prompts us to encourage someone or to speak to someone that we do it. It's important when the Holy Spirit prompts us to give an offering that we give it. Or He wakes us up in the middle of the night instead of complaining. He wakes us up with 
the name of someone, there's a problem. and he, They need prayer. They need us to intercede for them. It's important that we continually say yes to Him. That we be sensitive. We wake up in the morning and realize, I'm not just here to live this day. When I go to work, I'm not just working for a company. Jesus is the reason I have this job. And this job gives me resources to invest in His kingdom. Hallelujah. I have a friend in California. He's a businessman. He has a, he's a financial advisor. He's a financial advisor. He got invited by another guy. He's not even assemblies of God. He got invited by a friend to come to Africa. And he came. I don't know how his friend convinced him. <laughs> but he came. And after working with us for a couple weeks, he came home and he told his wife, Let's sell the business, let's sell the house, and let's move over and help the Teague. She's like, "Uh, honey, you need to pray some more. I mean, I'm I'm sort of willing to do this, but let's make sure this is God's will. He said, well, you haven't seen what I've seen and and, and all this and all that. She said, we still really need to pray about this. Is this really what God wants for us? And so she talked him into praying some more, and they prayed together. And then the Lord showed him. And he called me. He says, Brent, he said, uh, I was willing to sell out and come over there and help you. But he said, every one of us was burst on this earth with a purpose and a place in the plan of God. And he said, I realized in prayer that it's not an accident that I have a talent for making money. He said, in the past, I felt bad about it. He said, I've given to lots of charities and things, you know so that I can feel better about all the money I made. But he said, God just revealed to me that it's not an accident. God gave me this ability. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't teach that well. But I know how to make money. And God told me, the problem is not knowing how to make money. I gave you that gift. It's what you do with it. Don't feel bad about it, but use it for me. He's very frustrated right now. Because he can only give 50% of his income without being taxed. The government only allows you to give 50% away. And then you get taxed on the gift. Well, that would be a good problem to have, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? To be frustrated because I can only give 50% to God? <laughs> That'd be a great problem. Well, not everybody has that ability. Somebody else has some other ability. Some people, I don't have money, I don't have this talent, I don't have that talent, but maybe my main resource is time. There's lots of ways that we can serve Him. God knows every one of us. He's placed us all strategically. The question is, how we use our lives for Him. Whether it be one talent, or whether it be ten talents, what the Lord wants is for us to use our lives and our resources to follow His Spirit, to invest in His kingdom, so that others might make it to heaven. There are people who sacrificed. There are people who prayed. There are people who did things you probably can't even imagine. And they're the reason we're here today. There was a young woman. I don't even know her name. You see, I get this story secondhand. Although I'm an eyewitness of the results. My wife was talking about the vibrant church we're working with. My parents were missionaries in Ivory Coast when I was a kid. We had churches in all over the country, but because of a 12-year civil war, 
the Muslim rebels took over the north, and we had 10 million people migrate, immigrate into Ivory Coast from surrounding Muslim nations, and we went from 5% Muslim to 50%. And now that's the reason why the northern half of the country is unevangelized, but we're not seeing it as a problem. We're seeing it as an opportunity. But in 1969, my parents were appointed as missionaries to go to Africa. They were, some of, they were among the very first missionaries that went into Ivory Coast. It was very difficult. Less than a thousand Assemblies of God believers in the country. They were working with missionaries from France. They felt through prayer that they should start have hold a crusade in the capital city of Abidjan. And so they organized this crusade. They got a permit from the mayor's office to use the little soccer field uh, in one of the neighborhoods. And uh, they passed out flyers and tracks, invited people. And, you know, it wasn't a huge crowd, but people were coming out to the meetings and they started preaching. But there was a man in that town. He wasn't even African. He's Lebanese. During the war in Lebanon, thousands of Lebanese moved to Africa, moved their businesses because of the war. Ivory Coast has 100,000 Lebanese living in, in Abidjan. This man had come. He had opened up like a chain of seven, be the equivalent of 7-Elevens. He had a chain across the country of stores. But you see, at that point in time in Ivory Coast history, there were thousands of cripples in the city because of polio. Every traffic light, every street corner, there were crippled people there begging for money all over the city. This man, even though he was wealthy, I mean, <laughs> disease is no respecter of persons. He finds himself half paralyzed. He's having to operate his business from a stretcher. He has money, lots of money. But the best doctors in the world can't do anything for him. Here his workers come in. And some of them have got flyers from the crusade. They're actually making fun of what's going on on this little soccer field. These strange people preaching a strange message about some guy named Jesus that they say can still, still heal the sick. But you see, when this Lebanese man, who's now middle-aged, when he was in junior high in Lebanon, there was a young American woman. She gave a year of her life. And you see... The Lebanese government and the Lebanese schools, they wanted to learn American English. They were hiring teachers. She took the opportunity to go there as a teacher, but she really was a tent maker missionary. Because you see, she taught English to these Muslim Lebanese kids. She taught them Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe, and all the stuff you study. But their assignment that they had, their written assignment that they had, their term paper was they had to read the Gospel of Luke they had to choose one of the miracles of Jesus, and they had to write a paper on that miracle. That was their English assignment in a Muslim school. Things don't happen by accident. You see this man that is now paralyzed. The very scripture that he did his term paper on as a junior high, he now sees on this flyer announcing this crusade. And the Holy Spirit brings that back to his remembrance. And he starts thinking, maybe this is true, what I wrote about. They're here now. Maybe this is real. You see, it's from the Word of God that faith builds. But for every one of us that's here today, there are three people out there who've never heard. 
Where can their faith come from? Where can their hope come from? How can they ever discover what God created them to be? And so you see, he tells his, friend, his workers, he says, take me to that field. They're like, you don't need to be exposed to the elements. And, you know, you're a wealthy dude. You're an important guy. We're going to take you out in a stretcher in public. And he's like, you take me to the field. He was the boss. So they took him there. And as he listens to the message, the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart. And laying there on his stretcher, he believed that Jesus is the truth and the way, the resurrection and the life. No one laid hand on him. On his stretcher, he says, Jesus, I believe. And in your name, I'm going to get off this stretcher. And he stood to his feet. Everybody was blown away. This was 1973. I was a little boy. He testifies. The next day, it's on national news. He's being interviewed about how Jesus healed him. Everybody knows it. That crusade had to be moved from that little soccer field to the national stadium. People bust in from all over the country. I, as a kid, you know, there's a lot of things I don't remember, but then there's things when you're a kid, things that just mark you. These cripples that were crippled from polio, hundreds and hundreds of them came. And as they would be prayed for, you could hear the bones popping and straightening out and going into place. Their limbs being restored by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of life that Jesus gives, the Creator, the Word of God. I still remember as a boy, crutches that would go to the ceiling here, huge pile of crutches at the end of that crusade were burned to the glory of Jesus upon the fire of crutches. A revival started that day that has continued to 2016. The Assemblies of God has grown since 1973 to today from 1,000 members to over 2 million. There's a woman that's probably in heaven today that gave a year of her life to Jesus. Took an opportunity She's probably shocked. All these Africans coming into heaven. And she's thinking, I went to Lebanon. I went to an Arab country. Where are these Africans coming from? But you see, if we'll all be a part of God's plan and seek by His Spirit our place and seek to invest who we are into getting other people to heaven, there's no telling what all it will bring. Because the Word of God doesn't return void. When we do get to heaven and we stand before Him, I can tell you this with 100% certainty. You will not regret one dollar you've ever given to evangelism or missions. You will not regret one prayer you ever prayed for someone who's lost. You will not regret a kind word that you spoke to someone. You will not regret a word of encouragement that you gave to someone. You will not regret ever sharing your faith with someone. You will not regret ever investing in the kingdom of God. The only regrets you'll have that day are things you could have done and you didn't do. Opportunities that were there but you were too busy to take. I 
I don't want to go to heaven with regrets. I'm looking forward to going to heaven and seeing the rewards. Let's live for Him. Let's be for Him. And let's understand that if we're alive, it's not too late. Our part in the mission is not over. There's things that God still wants to do through us. God still wants to use us. Let's invest in His kingdom. Let's help bring as many people as possible to heaven with us. Service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burgrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, Come to the river.